It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Tuesday episode of Locked on Raptors, DeAndre Ayton might be headed to the Indiana Pacers on an offer sheet, and that clearly affects the Kevin Durant trade landscape. We'll dig into what an Ayton deal with Indiana would mean for the Raptors' pursuit of KD. We'll also talk about what happens if the Raptors don't get Kevin Durant. Is the team in good shape going into next year? What's the outlook for 2022-23 if there is no KD? Plus, Rule changes are coming in, baby, and I have some thoughts, especially on the play-in tournament being here to stay. Could it hurt the Raptors as early as next year? Sure. Is it a great idea to keep it around? Absolutely. We'll get to all of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks for being here. Oh, because when I shot, I expected to make it, so I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1214 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, July the 12th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can see it right on the screen there if you're watching on YouTube. You can also find the podcast free and available on all your favorite podcast apps. Please subscribe, follow, rate, review, tell a friend, all the different ways you can support the audio version of the show. It's very much appreciated when you do those. And also, you can go to YouTube and subscribe to the video feed of the show as well. Each and every day, the show has been dropping on YouTube for going on almost a year now. And uh, we built a nice little community there. So continue to support it. Join and subscribe if you haven't yet. Even if you're not going to watch every day, baby, just subscribe so we can juice those numbers. That's what we're in the business of. All right, on today's show, we are going to dig into kind of what I laid it off the top there. DeAndre Ayton, the Indiana stuff. 
stuff. We'll talk about what next season could look like if they don't end up getting Kevin Durant in Toronto. And we'll examine some rule change stuff. Before we get there, though, got to tell you about our friends over at Arcade One Up. Locked On is partnering with Arcade One Up to give away three free NBA Jam Shack Editions machines. Stay tuned later on in the show to learn how to enter. And as always, a big thank you for making us your first listen of the day. All right. Let's get to it. DeAndre Ayton, who has been a guy I think Raptors fans have been kind of lusting after a little bit this season, of course, or this offseason. And of course, he is very much tied up in, in the whole Kevin Durant saga as well as one of the key pieces in theory, both talent and salary wise, that could be used in a Kevin Durant trade to land KD on the Phoenix Suns, his reported preferred destination at the end of all of this. And the Pacers coming in with all this cap space they freed up by dealing Malcolm Brogdon are kind of throwing a wrench into the Suns' plans. Per Brian Windhorst, it sounds like they're getting pretty close on a potential offer sheet sheet deal. Nothing has come out just yet, so we're still waiting. It very well could happen by the time this podcast posts, so apologies if this is already at a date, but... Either way, if Aiton does sign with the Pacers, that makes things very interesting for the KD sweepstakes and I think works in the Raptors' favor pretty substantially. So, just to break it down, if an offer sheet is signed by DeAndre Aiton to join the Pacers, that takes him out of trade conversations entirely until at least the middle of next season, uh, which we can get to, and maybe that is fine for the Suns' purposes if they want to get KD, because maybe the Nets are just going to hang on to KD and Kyrie into the new year. I doubt that. We'll get to that in a sec. But if Aiton is off the table as a trade option, that makes things really difficult on the Suns' side of things to match salaries. Of course, Mikal Bridges would sort of be the big piece that's been rumored to go out, and Aiton seemed like the other logical pairing to match the salary needed to get KD in the door under the cap's legality and all of that. And that gets really tricky if there is no DeAndre Ayton to include in a trade. It was complicated anyway for the Nets and Aiton to come together on some sort of deal as well in a sign-and-trade because of base year compensation, the difficulty there, and also the hard cap. That's why a third team was kind of rumored out there is maybe the landing spot for Aiton in a potential deal that gets KD to the Suns and Aiton goes out. And that's where the Raptors kind of came into play. I know a lot of Raptors fans have been kind of after DeAndre Aiton and sort of thinking, hey, this would be a really good fit. He fits exactly what they need as far as a center goes. And I think it's a fine fit. More so, I think... Aiton is a guy I would go after just because he's a talent upgrade over, in theory, Gary Trent Jr., who would be, in theory, the guy going out in order to land Aiton in Toronto. I don't think the Raptors would deal OG Ananobi to get DeAndre Aiton. I think they value OG more than they value DeAndre Aiton, but I do think Trent is a guy who they'd probably value a little bit less than a seven-foot center who's mobile and has a little bit of post-game to him and can stretch it out at least to like 18 feet. Maybe there's something there in terms of three-point range one day. There's a lot to like about DeAndre Ayton that I think he kind of is a clear talent upgrade over Gary Trent Jr. And so that, you know, that could have been a pretty interesting way for the Raptors to sort of say, all right, we're going to accrue talent here and not so much worry about fit. The fit would have been a little bit tricky to make it work between Ayton, Barnes, Siakam, OG, Fred, all the rest because of the lack of three-point shooting with Aiton. You're banking heavily on Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam having big bounce-back three-point shooting seasons next year, or in the case of Barnes, just kind of like a resurgent or an uprising in his overall three-point efficiency. And so 
Again, if Aiton is not on the table, I think that's fine. It leaves some, you know, fit questions out of the equation, which is not a bad thing if you're the Raptors. It's less talent probably than if you're able to swap Aiton for Trent and kind of a one-for-one type sign-and-trade deal, but that's fine. Where this gets really interesting for the Raptors is that this really cuts into the market for Kevin Durant out there. And, you know, I made this point last week when we chatted with Adam Armbrecht of Lockdown Nets that why would the Raptors go and, like, put Scotty Barnes in the table? When you look around the league, what other offers are there even for Kevin Durant right now? You have the rumors of the Heat putting together the poo-poo platter of the overpaid and not very good Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, who the sort of word on around the league is that most teams are not thrilled about what the idea of paying him his next contract is going to look like. I'm not a Tyler Hero guy myself. Yes, he can create his own shot. Yes, he also is going to get blown by and destroyed on defense, essentially anytime he's on the floor, which makes him a problem in a potential postseason series. I don't think the Heat offer has a ton of legs. They also can't, like, trade as many picks as you would think the Nets would want, and they have to, like, make side deals with, like, the Thunder to take protections off of future picks to even make a full pick package available to be sent out. You know, they obviously are going big fish hunting. They're after Donovan Mitchell, it sounds like, and all of that. But it just doesn't feel like they are going to be a landing spot for KD unless they decide to part with Bam Adebayo, in which case they would have to trade Ben Simmons in order to make it legal because you can't have two players on the max rookie extensions, the five-year super max rookie extension, whatever it is, the designated player extensions. You can't have two of those guys on the same team that you've traded for. And so the Nets would have to figure out a place to send Simmons. It gets very complex. The Raptors are just sitting here biding their time. And I think this is where exactly you want to be if you're the Raptors, where you're kind of playing chicken with the Nets. If the Suns' best offer is off the table, it gets really tricky unless they just want to hang on until the middle of the year and the Nets are okay doing that. And then maybe there's something workable there. But that feels really dangerous if you're the Nets. And that's essentially what the Raptors are doing here with this chicken game they're playing. I would imagine that the offer of OG Ananobi, Gary Trent Jr., all the picks is on the table, and they're saying, hey, Sean Marks, whenever you're ready to accept this, we will gladly dial up the trade call, get on the horn with uh, Adam Silver, and make this thing official. But if the Nets are going to sit here and wait it out and potentially bring KD and Kyrie back, like, I don't know. Like, It feels like a pretty good negotiating position for the Raptors to be in because it, bringing KD and Kyrie back to the Nets this coming season sort of feels like inviting the clown from it over to your kid's birthday party. Like, why would you invite that kind of toxic, noxious, awful vibes and like everything that they had last year in Brooklyn? Why would you invite that back with the added complication of, oh, these guys both want trades? Yes, KD is probably going to go hoop no matter what. That's what he does. I wouldn't want to bring Kyrie back, and it seems pretty difficult to figure out a deal for him right now unless the Lakers pony up all the picks they're going to have to attach to Russell Westbrook to make it happen. It just feels like the Nets are running out of options here. And unless some mystery team like the Pelicans or some other team with a really enticing package comes out of the woodwork and says, all right, let's do it. Let's go get Kevin Durant. It feels like the Raptors are in the best position of any of these teams trying to land KD because they have a good package. They can increase their package if they need to. I don't think they're going to go to Scotty Barnes. They might have to do something involving Pascal Siakam, which would hurt my soul. They might just have to throw in like a Precious Achua or something like that to grease the wheels of a deal, in which case I still think you have to probably do it if you're assembling a big four of KD alongside Pascal, Scotty Barnes, and Fred Van Vliet. You figure out the rest later, and there's a little bit more depth on the team to work with, which we'll get to in the next segment that I want to talk about. But 
I think the Raptors in a really good spot here. And the Aiton thing, if he does sign with the Pacers, only enhances the strength of their position. And I can really see this kind of becoming a staring contest between Masai Ujiri and Sean Marks. And I don't really want to be on the receiving end of a staring contest against Masai Ujiri. Doesn't seem like it's going to work out so hot. This is probably going to still take a long time to figure out. There's going to be a lot of posturing, and there might be new teams that come into play. Maybe the Pelicans get bold and say, you know what, we love Brandon Ingram, but let's go just get KD right now. For me, if I'm the Pelicans, I'm probably just hanging out with the really cool, young, fun team I have and just seeing how that all germinates and, and builds into something. But certainly something that we'll be talking about deep into the summer, I would presume, unless the Nets realize, well, we might not get a better deal than what the Raptors are probably offering right now. Maybe we can get a little bit more out of them in terms of pick equity or another player like Precious Achua or something along those lines. But it, it does feel like if Aiton does sign this offer sheet with the Pacers, the Raptors are actually one of the beneficiaries here, even though they won't end up with DeAndre Ayton in some sort of uh, very complex three-team sign-and-trade. With that, we're going to continue on, and I'm going to talk about what it will look like if the Raptors don't, in fact, get Kevin Durant. You know, if all of this plays out, some other team lands him, what will the Raptors' situation be next year? I, you know, we talked a little bit yesterday on the podcast about the depth this team is going to have. And I'm getting quite bullish on what this Raptors team might be able to do next season. We'll get to that in one sec. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Arcade 1UP. Boom shakalaka. They've got big news. The one, the only NBA Jam is back at Arcade 1UP, the leader in at-home Retro Arcade Games is not only bringing you the best game ever, but they've made it bigger than ever with a wait-for-it Shaq edition machine. People are obsessed with NBA Jam. Myself is people in this conversation. I love NBA Jam. If I go to like a barcade with friends or something, I will leave my friends behind and go play NBA Jam with strangers all night, and I don't care because NBA Jam rocks. It's worth fracturing friendships over. You can also fracture your friendships with their new Wi-Fi leaderboard so your friends and family can play NBA Jam and you can destroy them from the comfort of your own home. That's super fun as well. Pre-order now from Arcade1Up. That's Arcade1Up.com for an estimated early September ship date. Arcade1Up is the place for fun. They've got even more classes like Golden Tea, Mortal Kombat, many others starting at just $3.99. And uh, look, I'm getting married in a few weeks. If you want to buy me a wedding present in the form of one of these game cases from Arcade 1UP, please DM me. I'll send you my address. You can send me it, and I will thank you so, so much for the lovely wedding gift. And also a reminder, we're giving away three NBA Jam Shack Edition machines to Locked On listeners. Enter for a chance to win a game console for your room of choice, be it your kitchen, your games room, your living room, your bathroom. Who cares? You can put it wherever you want because it's yours, baby, and it's free if you win it. Let's go to arcade1up.com uh, slash locked on. You're going to got till July 8th to enter to win the NBA Jam Shack Edition console. Don't miss out and enter today the nba playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs mark your calendars to listen to locked on nba every monday to be up to date locked on nba Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day. Digging into the idea of what the Raptors will look like if all this KD speculation and drama ends up with no Kevin Durant actually on the Raptors. And... Nice thing is, this is the beauty of what the Raptors have done this offseason, where they've kind of gotten their business taken care of, and now there's just this one thing that they can do if they want to, but it's not super necessary, is 
I think this team's going to be pretty damn good next season regardless. And I'm getting more and more bullish on it the more I think about it, the more I think about the machinations of how all the pieces are going to come together, the more I consider the internal development that's going to come from guys like Precious Achua and Scotty Barnes sort of first and foremost, not to mention any growth that we might see from Pascal Siakam, who, look, it's all like best shape of your life off-season reporting stuff, but Zach Lowe talked about it on his podcast last week. Some other Raptors folks have talked about it. Pascal seems like he is like in the gym doing the Pascal Siakam thing with his first full summer of work since, what, 2019 he's going I think to come back a better player the three-point shot I am pretty excited about the potential of that becoming a bit more of a reliable part of his game you know he became a really good mid-range shooter this season he became an offensive engine who's to say he can't add a little bit more of a three-point game especially considering we've kind of seen it before you think back to the 2019-20 season where he sort of changed his overall shot profile so dramatically from his most improved season was firing from above the break catch and shooting all that's you know all that stuff you know pull up threes from above the break it was Really, really a delight to watch, and I'm excited about a potential Pascal sort of mini leap from what we saw last year. I think it's totally on the table, especially with an actual real full offseason for the first time in three years for him to work with. You figure in also there should be some growth, you would think, from a guy like Gary Trent Jr. You know, I think I've on this podcast been a little lower on Trent's overall upside than most. Just I, I think he doesn't quite have the overall first step and rim pressure to his game that I think you kind of need to really become like a star, but Gary Trent Jr. is awesome nonetheless. And the fact that he can be an event maker on defense, and I don't think he's going to be relied upon to be like a number one on ball defender next season. I think that makes him a totally viable defender to have. And we talked at length this season about all the impact he had on the Raptors offense, you know, other than Pascal Siakam drove offense performance better than anybody else on the team per cleaning the glass, per the NBA on off numbers, all of that stuff. And so I think this team, like, internally has a lot of capacity for growth on what was already a really good team that played at the second best record of any team in the Eastern Conference after January 1st. And you put all that together, you hope for a little bit more health from a guy like OG Ananobi, you hope that the depth of the Raptors have assembled now with... You know, Otto Porter Jr. coming in to be like a very reliable sounding eighth man. You've got Ken Birch in there. You've got Chris Boucher. Like it's Thad Young obviously is there. Like it just feels like this team is going to have the goods to be a a problem in the regular season. Postseason, we'll see. That's going to depend on, I think, the on-ball creation of Barnes and how that develops next season. It's going to depend a lot on can Pascal become a reliable three-point shooter? Can other guys knock down threes around him in a way that they simply could not this past year? And I think you can probably bank on that being a little bit more of a strength for the team as well. Otto Porter Jr., a career dead-eye shooter. Raptors fans know this well, dating back to playoffs past that I think I've repressed from my memory back in 2015 and so much more. Like, this is a team that has the goods, I think. And, and, you know, Otto Porter said in his first availability that he thinks the team can get back to the finals. I don't know if I would go that far, but I certainly think they have it within them to be a second-round team, a home-court advantage in the first-round team if things break right. And, you know, I, I just am getting pretty excited about what the depth of this team might be able to allow And that's before you kind of factor in a potential deep bench growth from guys like Delano Banton, Justin Champagny, Christian Coloco, guys like that. It it just, it feels to me for the first time in a couple years, the Raptors kind of go into the season presuming health through the preseason and all that with an actual roster that you can look at and say, okay, we know who's playing when it matters most. That was not the case back in the Tampa season or even last year where 
fitting together the you know the pieces around like the six or seven guys you could really trust became difficult. And you were playing guys like Yuta Watanabe and Armani Brooks and you know Delano Banton in spots where he just wasn't really up to the task. Think back to the Tampa season where Stanley Johnson was on the receiving end of so many kickout passes from Pascal Siakam. What are you going to do with that, honestly? Glad to see Stanley Johnson's a Lakers hero. He's like the second best player on the Lakers. Good for him. Uh, but, you know, just not the kind of guy that you need to win basketball games. And I think the Raptors now, with the guys they've assembled, with some hopefully sort of reliable three-point shooting from some spots, maybe you didn't get it from last year, a full season of Precious Achua bomb and triples, hopefully some bounce back from Chris Boucher, which I think you can reasonably hope for, even though it was really rough from him downtown last year, and he's no longer really dependent on the three-point shot to make it an effective player. I just think this team is going to be a nasty one to play against in the regular season, and they're going to rack up wins. I'm probably going to take the over on the Raptors' win total. I don't even know what it's been set at yet by Vegas, but I'm probably taking the over. I, you know, And this is not something I felt going into last year. I was pretty, I think, lower than most, I think, on sort of what the regular season was going to bear. I, I think I picked them to go 42-40. and 40. I know the Vegas over-under was 36.5. I think most people who know the Raptors projected them somewhere for maybe like 44-45, maybe in there. Uh, it might have been around 41-42. I can't totally recall. But um, I, I wasn't as bullish on last year's team as I am on this year's team. And it's just because there's a lot to be bullish about, man. And... I'm just, you know, this is the beautiful thing about the whole KD thing. It's not a situation like if you're some team out there, like the Heat, for example, who maybe capped out what they can do with their conference finals appearance last year. Yeah, they went to seven against the Celtics. They kind of stumbled their way and needed the Celtics to also stumble their way into that game seven. And they were super hurt, even dating back into the first and second rounds. They get a year older. I'm less certain that the Heat are going to be, you know, this some sort of huge contending team unless they go get Kevin Durant. That might be their meal ticket to being a contender once again. The Raptors are not in that spot. The Raptors can be patient. They can chill. They can ride this out. And that is a beautiful, beautiful place to be. A nine-man rotation of Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, Gary Trent Jr., Precious Achua, Chris Boucher, Thad Young, Otto Porter. That is damn good stuff. And it's going to be, I think, just a whole feasting ground for all sorts of hilarious weirdo lineup combinations it's going to combine being very good and being very fun and I think there's a real path for the Raptors to be you know a three or four seed in the Eastern Conference next season I think Philly's going to be awesome I think Milwaukee's probably going to win a lot of games as they typically do just because Giannis is a force unto his own I think Boston's going to be really good as well Boston's going to be disgusting god I hate it so much but beyond those three teams you could talk me into any team coming forth and I think I might actually pencil in the Raptors as the most likely just because they have a track record of winning a whole lot of regular season games without fail every single season except for the one where COVID took apart the entire year midway through so feeling pretty good I think you know if you're still kind of hung up on the Kevin Durant stuff which you might be for a long time now it's fine if you want Kevin Durant on the team that's totally cool I probably want Kevin Durant on the team for the right price as well but if it doesn't happen if you're someone who is you know kind of like ah, I, I could take it or leave it with KD I think you're probably right there as far as your basketball argument as well because this team is going to be good and it's going to be extremely fun and interesting to watch with lots of capacity for surprising leaps and bits of growth from guys across the roster as well so that's where I'm at uh, with what the next season could look like if they don't get KD. We'll, of course, examine that in further depth as we go forward. You know, as we head into the offseason, we'll do lots of player previews and things like that. But I just kind of wanted to get some thoughts off my chest 
I'm just liking how this team's coming together quite a bit. And I think their offseason business was well done. And I look forward to what it's all going to look like come October. Uh, come October as well, the NBA is going to look a little different because they're going to have some new rules, baby. We're going to get to that in just a second. Dig into the new rules that are going to come in. Bye-bye, take foul. We hate you. And this is actually a thing that could help the Raptors quite a bit, I think. Uh, plus, we got a whole bunch more to get to regarding those new rules. We'll get to that in a sec. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at rockauto.com who are saving you money at the mechanic. Full stop, period, end of story. You go to the mechanic, they usually have one part of the car, of the part that you need, one brand, one price that they're selling it for, and there's not much you can do. You're sitting there, your car is in, in rough shape, it's maybe your lifeline to get to work or whatever it might be, and you just gotta simply pay what they say you gotta pay. No more, go to rockauto.com, use their website, and find all the parts that you need for your car. You get brands, specifications, and prices to choose from, so you can pick the part and the price that works for you. And a really cool thing about Rock Auto is it's not just for people who are, you know, working day folks using their car to get from point A to point B. If you are someone who is like a huge car head, maybe you build cars in your spare time, refurbish old ones, rockauto.com can be a wonderful resource for you as well. You can go back to the 1930s and get parts for cars that you might need. So if you are a professional, if you are a car hobbyist as well, not just someone who's looking to fix whatever's wrong with your car, rockauto.com is the place for you. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? Know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the car parts you will ever need at rockauto.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, so let's get in now to close out the show. Uh, we'll talk, by the way, tomorrow about the summer league game the Raptors are playing. I'm recording this at about 12.30 on Tuesday, so about four and a half hours away from the Raptors-Bulls summer league contest. We'll break that down on Wednesday's show. No need to really preview a summer league game, I don't think, on the show. So I just want to quickly hit on the rule changes that seem like they might be coming into the NBA this coming year. Uh, the big one for me is the take foul. And, and I don't think it's been officially reported just yet as to what is going to happen. Yeah, it's going to be in July. There will be a vote uh, on the take foul. It might have already happened. I'm just pulling up a story here from The Athletic. But um, yeah, the big thing is the take foul. If you're not familiar with the take foul, it is the stuff that you see that drives you insane when a guy is running in transition, has open court in front of him, and someone just hugs him or taps him to be called for a foul to prevent the easy transition bucket. They just get an inbound. They get to you know start the possession essentially all over again. It's the worst rule in the world. It sucks. It is just something that eliminates the best thing about basketball, which is dunks. And any rule that prevents dunks from happening, to me, is actively working against the overall entertainment value of the sport. And so to remove the take foul, which is reportedly going to happen, it seems like it's on its last legs and will be voted out very soon here if it hasn't already been, that to me is like the best rule change the NBA could possibly make. I think it is such a smart call. I call games for the CEBL, which plays in, under FIBA rules, which doesn't have take fouls. It's two shots in the ball if you foul someone in that situation and eliminate a transition attack. That to me 
should be the rule. That's fantastic. It keeps teams from going off and just sort of, all right, well, we can just set our defense now. I'm just going to tap this guy in the shoulder. That's a foul, baby. And let's go set up our defense and no harm, no foul. Literally, it, it just, it's, it's not even basketball, man. It, it's just a brutal, brutal play. This happened in Europe all the time, and they changed the rules for FIBA because of this, and it just has helped enhance the game. And imagine what this is going to do for the Toronto Raptors, a team that more than anybody else, I think other than one team, got into transition last season. They run all the time. And if they can now not have to worry about these take fouls taking away possessions from them, that's going to benefit them to the tune of it, like at least a couple points a game, you would think. It happens two or three times in every game, it seems, where the defense gets lazy, realizes they have no shot, and just commits a stupid foul. The Raptors are going to be one of the biggest benefactors, assuming they continue to be a transition-heavy team, which maybe they won't be. Maybe they realize, hey, we can play a bit more of a conservative style of defense. We can play sort of set back. We don't have to go and force all these turnovers to drive our offense because maybe we think our offense is going to be better with Pascal Siakam leveling up as, a, as an engine last year, with Fred Van Vliet hopefully healthy, with Scotty Barnes making a leap that you expect is coming. Maybe you don't have to be so aggressive in your defense, but... If the Raptors are going to continue to be a transition-heavy team, which they have been pretty much every year since Kawhi Leonard left, if I recall, like that is such a huge value to them. They're going to be one of the biggest benefactors of this new rule. And also, they're a good transition team in defense as well. Like They, they were a good transition, transition defense last season. I think that's going to help them as well, right? Because they are typically not sort of leaning on the laurels of these take fouls. They do it for sure. Like every team does it. There's no one team that just like has ethically worked take fouls out of their game. But, you know, I, I still think the Raptors, because of the way they tilt the floor transition-wise, the way they force turnovers, the way they don't really turn the ball over as well, that to me is going to be such a huge asset for this team going into next season. Again, it's not going to change the outcome of too many games necessarily, but it might change one or two and it might, you know, be good for a couple extra points a game. And that is awesome. And also just entertainment wise, what are we doing? Well, why would we have rules that limit the most entertaining thing about basketball, which again is dunks. Uh, you know, we're going to see more transition dunks. That is fantastic to me. The other rule change that was voted on and has been confirmed is that the play-in tournament will be for good here to stay in the NBA. And I think that's fantastic. And look, the Raptors were in the play-in mess last year. As they were stuck into that 7 through 10 morass, it didn't feel particularly great, for sure. Like It was like, well, this isn't awesome. This, this could be uh, you know, some trouble. You, you get a bad night in a one-off you know, uh, play-in game, and all of a sudden your season's over, and it's all for naught, and you kind of wish you would tank down. Not me. I, I'd never wish to tank down. But some people would be, well, why didn't you just tank down to 11th? What the hell was the point of those play-in games? There's a point to play-in games, but that's for another day. I think this is awesome for the league, though, and I think, you know, as much as it could hurt the Raptors at some point because they're in that 7 through 10 range, I don't know if it's going to be all that big of a concern just because, A, like, this is just, like, being the 7th or 8th seed, what is you? what do you really get out of it, honestly? Like, to be the 7th or 8th seed, I don't think there should be some great honor in being the 7th or 8th seed where you're guaranteed a playoff spot for being the 7th and 8th best teams in a conference. I totally think it's fine to have to play it out and see if you deserve a playoff spot. You know, top six is actually something to strive for, I think. And I like that it's going to help teams push for that top six. It should make it more competitive. I think it's obviously had a big impact on what we see in terms of the push for the 10 seed as well. Some teams just want to get in a play and have that revenue date or whatever it might be, have the chance of making it to the playoffs. 
that is something that is valuable and honorable, I think. There is honor in being a not-perfect team that doesn't have a chance at winning a title who still tries to go for it and win games and provide an entertaining product for your fans. And I think that the plan is going to do just that. It just it, we, We've seen it already in the last couple seasons where it's been a thing. Now that it's going to be here to stay, I, I think we'll only see the sort of strategy around team building take even more of an effect sort of based around what the plan means and what it does. So... I think it's awesome. Could not be happier that it's going to stick around. Don't ever want to watch the Raptors play in one of these games, but if that's the way it is, I mean, you should have just played better. If you, To quote David Price, former Toronto Blue Jays pitcher, if you don't like it, pitch better. And instead of being the seventh or eighth seed, be the sixth seed. Like, it's as simple as that. Just play better basketball and you won't be put in that situation. Again, there is no great honor in being the seventh or eighth best team in a conference, especially when it's almost certainly serving you up on a silver platter to get smacked by a team in the first round, probably get swept, losing five, whatever it might be. At least if you get the play in and you make the seventh or eighth seed, you have some fun memories that people can remember and have a good time with. Think about the Wolves in the play in. That was awesome. It was so fun to watch the Wolves do what they did in the play in. Same with the Pelicans. Have that, like get those little moments for teams that don't otherwise often get them and aren't going to get them if they just go into a regular ho-hum 1-8 series knowing that they're going to get waxed. This also applies to the other rule change that seems like it might be coming in for 2023-24, which is the play-in style, or not the play-in, the soccer style in-season tournament, which I know a lot of NBA fans have big problems with and think it's dumb and blah, 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 blah. I think it's great. I like soccer a lot, and the reason I like soccer is there's multiple things to root for at any one given time. I'm a Tottenham Hotspurs fan. They stink a lot of the time. In the Premier League race, they're always kind of the ugly duckling, finishing fifth and sixth and whatever, but I like that there are other things to root for as a soccer fan to drive my interest. Obviously, avoiding relegation is one. Tottenham never has to really worry about that, but they're always sort of fighting for those European spots. Can you get top four and be in Champions League next year? What a windfall that is. All of that's so great. And I like the idea of having a tournament in season that gives fans something to care about other than just the ho-hum regular season, which... You know, I have no problem with. I love the regular season. I like the regular season more than the playoffs because I like to spend six months of my life just watching basketball every night. That's cool to me. I find a lot of value in that. Apparently, the thoughts on the regular season kind of vary, and some people think it's a waste of time just getting to the playoffs. Fast forward. Maybe you just don't like basketball very much. That's fine, too. I'm not here to tell you how to be a fan. But if the regular season is so bad and is so such so long and drawn out in such a waste of time, why not inject some excitement into it with a tournament? And yes, it might seem a little bit mm, created sort of synthetically right now. Drumming up interest might be difficult for the first couple years, but also I think we've seen that you put players on a basketball court, especially in a win-or-lose or win-or-go-home situation, and they're going to care about that situation. We're seeing guys get like jacked up over summer league overtime winners. These guys are wired to want to beat the hell out of whoever they're playing at any given time. And I think having that in-season tournament as an extra outlet, not only for like contenders to go and try to win another thing, like there's something I think that will be too the idea of winning the league double, winning both the in-season Sprite Cup or whatever the hell we're going to call it, and also winning the NBA championship. I think that will be something that actually matters to teams. And I think... It just is going to take some training of your brain to get to that point. But in the in the Premier League, for example, yes, the FA Cup is like a hundred years old tournament, but it also is something that teams get pretty excited for. Does it do ever does every team take it seriously? No, not necessarily. They play their second units, whatever it might be. 
But you still see really good teams all the time going and trying to win the FA Cup. Once they get deep into it, they're rolling out their best rosters because winning that league double is actually a great thing to like throw into discourse and say, hey, we're better than this team because we won both of the things in the season as opposed to the one. Imagine like the silly debates we'll have about the, you know, the, I don't know, the 2027 Detroit Pistons winning the title and the league double. Were they better than the Warriors who didn't win the, the league double or whatever? Like that's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. It's going to be dumb little fodder. It's going to be stuff that you can add to sort of Hall of Fame conversations and just sort of overall discussions of legacy and things like that, if that's your thing. And really for me, it's a way to give a platform to teams that maybe aren't in that contender tier. You have teams like, you know, the Pelicans, for example, of last year, or the Wolves of last year, or the Raptors of last year. You give those teams the platform to play on national TV in a tournament in the middle of the season where there is something on the line, whether it's money, whether it's status and title or whatever you want. Like, that is inherently a good thing to me. Get more teams playing in games that matter, and if teams that are younger and maybe sort of more of on the come-up are going to take it more seriously than the contenders, that's fine too, because you get to watch these teams that you're not going to get to see in the postseason actually have some moments and put together some actual enjoyable you know, stretches of basketball for their fans to take in, which is ultimately what this is about, man. Like, entertainment. It's supposed to be entertainment. It's supposed to be fun. And making up fun things like little tournaments in the middle of the year, to me, is awesome and is a thing that I, I, I'm fully on board. I've been on board with this. I, I wrote a blog about this on my now defunct little sports blog that I started up like 10 years ago just to try to get my foot in the blogging door. And one of the first things that I wrote was about how an in-season tournament is something that the NBA should pursue. And I'm glad it's finally going to come around. And, you know, we'll see what the format of, is, uh, format of it is and things like that. Yeah, format of it is and things like that. But I really think this is going to be a fun thing. And for a team that doesn't have a championship aspiration for a given season, it's cool to have a thing you can strive for to win some hardware, even if it's not the grand be-all, end-all. We have to stop thinking about sports in the black and white of did you win the championship or not? You're either good or you didn't and you suck. That is dumb. It's such a dumb way to think about sports. And hopefully a tournament like this can add a little bit of nuance, add a little bit of sort of, again, extra things to get excited about over the course of the NBA calendar. It's a total win for me. That's my soapbox for the day. We're going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. I'll be back again tomorrow, uh, digging into the Raptors Summer League game against the Bulls, go with big takeaways, box score notes, all the usual stuff. Maybe even bring back the dude of the game. Hmm, we'll do that. So that'll be tomorrow. Then Thursday, Katie Heindel is going to pop on with a dispatch. After returning from Summer League and recovering for two full days, we will get the lowdown on Summer League from someone who was there in Katie Heindel on Thursday. Just heads up, I'm traveling Friday, so no Friday podcast this week. We'll be back again with a regular five-week slate uh, next week as well. Um, and then we go back down to three a week to start August. And I have some fun pre-recorded stuff. I'm going to be away on my honeymoon at the start of August. I'm going to have some pre-canned stuff that's going to be pretty interesting that you'll be able to listen to. And then if a Kevin Durant trade drops while I'm in, uh, on my honeymoon, then uh, I guess you're SOL till I get back. Either way, thanks very much for tuning in. And uh, now go tune into Locked On NBA as they're digging into all of the NBA offseason stuff, including the DeAndre Ayton, Indiana Pacers rumor and potential in coming offer sheet all that and much more and uh as always it, it's really really awesome to have you watching the show and listening to the show and taking it all in i love all of you very very much and i'll talk to you again tomorrow with another episode of lockdown raptors bye-bye
Hey Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.